Welcome to The Rest of Us. My name is Noah Hutton, and I'm your host. Each week, I'll have a new entrepreneur on to talk about their story, their struggles, and their lessons learned. My guest this week is Drew Rich. Drew is a sports photographer from Kansas City, and he's somebody that I found on TikTok and really enjoyed his content. He takes amazing photos of high school sports, uh, college sports, and even professional sports sometimes, so um, I would definitely give him a follow. His link will be in the show notes down below. Um, so without further ado, here's my interview with Drew Rich. Drew Rich, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Noah. So happy to be Drew, here. I actually found on TikTok, he was putting together really cool um, sports photography clips of some of the shoots that he was doing, and I thought he was doing really cool work. Um, and then when I started the pod, the podcast, I knew I had to reach out to Drew uh, to be a guest because I really liked the work he was doing, um, and I just wanted to get to know him more and kind of hear his story. So speaking of that, before we get started with your story, can you actually just kind of talk about your business and what you do and where you're based? Sure. Yeah. My name is um, Drew Rich. I'm based out of Kansas City. Um, I live on the Kansas side, work in the, on the Missouri side to confuse people who are confused by Kansas City even more. But yeah, I am a photographer, freelance photographer um, online. It definitely seems like all I do is sports. That's what I advertise on purpose. Uh, but in the freelance world, I take any jobs that make ends meet. So, uh, I'm, I'll focus today on sports stuff. That's what I am most passionate about. That's what I have the most experience in. Um, and slowly it's becoming the biggest piece of my income pie, I guess. Uh, so that's definitely why you saw me on TikTok was my sports yeah. work. And which is encouraging to hear that it was TikTok that you found because I drug my feet a lot to get on TikTok. And in my age group, TikTok is not as widely used. I'm in my early 30s, just uh, for anyone who who would like to know that. But so, yeah, me, um, it's definitely not something that came naturally. My friends, my peers are not heavy on TikTok. Um, so, but... I know that to get clients, I have to post my work. Potential clients are spending their time. Um, and that's easily Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I'm sure it is Snapchat, but I'm not, I'm not putting time into that. I, <laughs> I, I'll focus on the others and, and do that. So yeah, it's good to hear that that's how you found me. And, and I appreciate the compliment. Yes, definitely. Yeah. If you haven't uh, seen Drew's work, I definitely encourage you to go check it out. It's, is it no coast media on TikTok? Yeah, on, on Instagram. So this is a branding mistake. We can jump right into there. Uh, my <laughs> TikTok is my personal name. Just Drew oh, it's Rich. Drew Rich. Yes. Yeah. My Instagram is my business name. No coast underscore media at the time of this recording. It, I've thought about changing it and doing that, but um, I'm also a father of two, a husband. Um, so a lot of those things, we might get into it further, but are pushed to the side. And I know like from a branding standpoint, I would love it for, for everything to be no coast underscore media. It was easy on Instagram because I have a Drew Rich page that's mostly like pictures of my kids and um, what a more traditional type of Instagram, but no coast is definitely on Instagram and on TikTok. Pretty much it's my commercial, it's a commercial for my photography or it's a billboard, however you want to say it. So yeah, 
branding wise, no coast underscore media on Instagram and on Twitter and TikTok, it's it's Drew Rich. So, you know, we're learning. We're we're yeah. changing. Yep, of course. Yeah, definitely go check him out. He puts out great work. So kind of let's transition into your story. You have a really interesting story and one that I relate to a lot. Um, sure. So I'm really uh, eager to, I already heard it once, but I'll, I'm eager to hear it again because um, yeah. I think it's really cool. So just kind of yeah. So basically, school, yeah, basically I was really fortunate in high school to have a school that um, had like a sports media program. And that was way back in 2004, 2005. Um, I graduated in 2008, so that was a long time. We talked about how I was recording on mini DV tapes, plugging the camera into the Mac and exporting all the footage. Like that was the first step. And it took a while, like it took a minute. And so anyways, that's how I started. And I was fortunate in high school to have a, a good teacher who knew Final Cut Pro and was passionate about Final Cut Pro. And I took every opportunity to, um, be in that class, like did senior, my like senior focus or whatever that we were able to do. And then I was a teacher's aide in that class. So like, I kind of gamed the system to be in front of a, a Mac editing. Um, back then it was only video. I did not care about photography at all. And uh, there's a little regret with that. Like my school had a, a dark room where you could learn how to develop film and I just didn't take advantage of that. Uh, uh, but I did write on the school newspaper. So I was around people who cared about photos and took photos. So yeah, I guess my story, I just think I need to start my story that way. I feel very fortunate that I was in a school in a school district that had the means to do that. Um, I look around and obviously so much has changed. Nobody's shooting on mini DV tapes, but there's still schools that do have that and schools that don't have that. So my story probably doesn't start, you know, end up where we are right now if that doesn't happen. Um, however, I also grew up not thinking that that was a viable way to make a career. So as much as that opportunity was presented to me in high school, um, I didn't take advantage of it. And once I did graduate, you know, I was, kind of a kid who had a camera with me walking through the high schools or the hallway of, of high school. Um, that was a kind of a big part of my day to day. And when I graduated, I, I left my camera at home, went off to college and still wanted to be involved. Like I would watch YouTube a ton, uh, keep on top of like what new cameras were coming out and technology like that. It, that kind of hobby aspect of definitely took away from some of my schooling. I think maybe I jumped a little further in, but so yeah, I, I started in high school on the video side was taking clips of sports for the sports media. Um, but then I hung it all up, um, to go to when, and went to college and really didn't, um, do anything uh, yeah. with it. Yeah, definitely. I, I kind of relate. That's kind of where like my relating to you starts is mm -hmm. kind of you're passionate about photography, you're passionate about these things, but you don't really see the money in it. And so you obviously need money to support a family, support your dreams, support travel that you want to do, whatever you want to do. Um, yeah. And so even if you enjoy it as much, 
you're kind of whether it's pressure from your parents or pressure from yourself or whatever it is, you go into college and you find the career that you could actually get a nine to five out of college with. Um, I mean, so, yeah. And I went to school to be a teacher. So it wasn't even that I was like t taking a hard turn into money. Like, I, yeah, <laughs> I when I graduated, people weren't watching videos on their phones. Our phones just weren't capable of that. So the explosion that it's come now, um, I really thought I remember in high school having the thought, like, if I want to make a living with a camera, I'll have to move to one of the coasts which I have family on the East coast. And that wasn't like some scary proposition, but a goal of mine that, you know, I've another part of me, I guess there's uh, several parts of me, but I also knew I wanted a family. I am fortunate to grow up in a really healthy family. And that was something that I had a goal of too. And, you know, I wasn't making life decisions, I guess, with that in the front of my mind, but that thought of moving to the coast, I knew like, Oh, if I move to the coast, my dream of, you know, being a dad and stuff like that is definitely going to be pushed down the line. So I wrestled with that back and forth and it really took away from, you know, the success that I might've had in college. If I had a clear goal, um, not having a clear goal was like a detriment to my studies. And it's also why it's called why I go by no coast media, because I'm not on the coast. I'm in the dead center of the country and, you know, not making a ton, but we're, we're making it work with, with freelancing. So, yeah, I was, I was going to ask about that. I was like, is no coast because you're not on the coast or because you didn't move to a coast, but that, yeah, yeah that makes it, total sense. It's funny. Uh, a couple of people have said like, what do you, what do you have against the coast? And I absolutely love the coast. I will go to either coast as often as I'm able. Um, yes. But the name is just a hint of like, I didn't have to move to the coasts to, to make this dream come true. And we're still yeah. in the process. I don't want to talk like, like it's all come to fruition, but. I think it's always a process though. Even if you yeah. like think you, there's one goal, you made it, then you, that goal gets, uh, you know, you have another one in the first. Sure. And I also, I had that same feeling of like, you know, I want to go into media. Well, I have to move to LA. Like mm -hmm. I need to be in, in that area that I, I love LA. I love the coast. I love the, the beaches out there. I was going to move to Santa Monica after college, mm -hmm. but it just didn't work out that way. And now I am also stuck in a uh, mostly landlocked state in sure. the middle of the country. So yeah. uh, another area where we relate. Sure. Yeah. But kind of transitioning, you're still in college, but talk about Sports Illustrated and how that had an influence on um, your career and kind of your mindset in sports photography. Yeah. So it's funny. A lot of when I did, you know, I'll fast forward a tiny bit. When I did start photography and being trying to just be better at sports media, um, I was working at a middle school. So we skip ahead a couple steps. Um, and took kind of the jump, bought a camera. And so my memories of like, oh, where, you know, kind of realized, oh, I, I am decent at this. Well, obviously had a lot to go, but some of my first photos and stuff, I just got feedback kind of early on that was like, hey, you have something, you should kind of pursue this. And that was encouraging, but it made me rewind and say like, well, I wonder why this comes you know, I wonder why I have this talent. I, I struggle with, the, with those type of how to phrase that, but 
um, because those first pictures were rough, but there is something people, when they connect to a photograph, there's just that something extra. And so I was thinking back and I was like, Oh, my freshman year of college, even though I hung up my camera and, and wasn't doing any that stuff, like my front door was covered in sports illustrated covers. Like I just clipped out, you know, uh, again, one of those fortunate things. I grew up in a house that I think it was once a month sports illustrated came in the mail. Um, and even before that, my uncle, I remember the Christmas, I don't remember the year, but I received a sports illustrated junior, um, subscription in the mail. So for that year and maybe further, um, I was getting sports illustrated junior and then sports illustrated and, I was never sitting like pouring over the writers. I was looking at the sports pictures and, um, and I truly mean the sports pictures, the swimsuit edition never made it into the house. I don't know how it didn't get past the, the mailman, but it was truly just looking at and just absorbing how, what sports photographers were doing. And I never realized it until I was taking pictures and, talking to other people and saying like, Oh, I don't know why my eye catches these moments that are good easily. Um, again, easily. I, it's just, I'm naturally pushed toward a certain type of image that I like, and I've learned to trust what I like and understand, okay, if I trust my taste, people seem to like it. And that's just getting feedback from clients. I don't, <laughs> it's a, I never want to come off as saying like, this is why I'm at this level. Cause whatever level I'm at, I'm looking to, you're chasing to, another level to be higher. Yeah. So, but there were feedback from clients that I got early on of like, Oh, these pictures are very good. And so I'll just, I took that and was, I'm a, I'm a curious person and thought what, what in my past brought that around. And I think it was a lot of, looking at sports illustrated, um, even though without a kind of a purpose, but it was just there. And I've always been an observer. I was a lifeguard throughout high school. Um, and that's a lot of just sitting and watching how people interact. Um, it's just always scanning and always looking. And so I never had a camera, but while I was lifeguarding, I was always just seeing scenes, I guess. And so looking back, I see those puzzle pieces and how they connect. Um, but then, yeah, college came. Um, I actually lived closely uh, once I transferred to the University of Kansas. Um, a friend of mine, Colin, Colin Gerst, was in the photography po program at KU. Um, and so I'm sure um, he would come home and talk about what he was learning. And I guarantee I absorbed some of it, but it was never a purposeful thing. Like I was never listening to him thinking like someday I'm going to follow those footsteps. So it's again, a lot of fortunate things that as I look back, I might not have taken full advantage of that. That might be a theme, but we're here now. Yeah, definitely. And that's kind of another area where as I was listening to your story and kind of hearing you talk about this, that's how I relate to you as well Is with podcasting for me. 
I've been listening to podcasts for over 10 years. Um, my mm-hmm. first, the first podcast I really jumped onto was the Rooster Teeth podcast. Um, it's just mm-hmm. kind of a bunch of friends talking from a company. Mm-hmm. Um, they started it in like 08 and they've been going ever since. Mm-hmm. But I've been listening to those podcasts and kind of adding more podcasts for mm-hmm. years. I probably listened to, you know, 20 different ones at different points, um, yeah. during the year. Yeah. Um, and so when I started this podcast, the, there's there's still the nerves there's still the kind of uncomfortableness sure. of being on camera and all this stuff but when i'm talking and when i'm editing and when i'm just looking at how the podcast should be produced for me it just comes so naturally because in, in my head i have all of this podcast like just content that i've consumed so whenever i'm like talking and i say something or i ask a question a certain way a certain way i'm like oh that's how you know Jason said this mm-hmm. from this podcast or that's how, you know, Bernie said this from this podcast. Like that's how he asked that question. And I just sure. kind of subtly recognize these things, which I always found really interesting, but yeah, it's kind of this idea of like a suppressed like passion mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. a way of like, you know, this was always there in my life. Like podcasting right. was always there for me. Photography was kind of there starting in like mm-hmm. sophomore year of high school. It's when I took my first photography class mm-hmm. and all these things were always there, but I kind of was like, pushing myself into doing this like technical stuff. I wanted to study web design or computer science Mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff in college, um, ended up switching to film and kind of pursuing the creative side. But Mm -hmm. it was always, it was always there, but I was suppressing it a little bit to chase maybe something that's a little bit more secure, um, Mm -hmm. or something maybe my my parents wanted me to do Mm -hmm. or something that just felt easier to stomach from a career perspective then like I want to be a photographer and it's like, Oh, okay, that's cute. Like, where's the money? Like, that's kind of the, yeah. like, yeah. And it's, it's a valid like criticism, but it's like, it's, it's kind of funny rec- like recognizing that now of like, Oh, I really should have just gone full in on photography mm-hmm. because like I could have like been putting in my 10,000 hours starting in high mm-hmm. school and gotten there and stuff. So that's kind of what I was hearing you talk about it. I was like, wow, that's, that's something that I've also did, but it was a little bit different with, podcasting and with photography yeah and there's a a flip side to that coin going back to um consuming a ton of content before i even started it's great like i trust my eye but in the beginning stages and even still now i i found and i i when i talk to younger photographers um i say some of the biggest frustration is if your taste is here and your skill level is here, that gap in inside of that gap is so much frustration and it took a while. I think there's still a gap, but I've certainly worked hard enough to close the gap a little bit. And so looking back, like, yes, I am very thankful. I consumed all those images it, and I think there's a flip side to everything. So, it's awesome. There's also a lot of frustration that came with when my skill set wasn't matching my taste. And I think you might relate to that too. So like, I think everything has good and bad. It was unfortunate that I was suppressing my passion while trying to make college work. But because of that, when I did start going, I was more focused than I probably would have been if I had come right out of high school and done it. So I can think back and it's such a mindset. And I think being a parent too, I can step out of myself and view 
my, how important mindset is because I'm kind of watching these humans start from zero and, and I can tell like your mindset is so important. And so I can think back of like, Oh, I should have started earlier. I should have done this, this and that, or I can, you know, tell myself a story of because I, you know, denied my passion for so long, I've, I've been working with consistent, you know, keeping my foot on the pedal more than if I had maybe just started earlier. So there's good and bad to both those things. And, but I totally agree. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's kind of transition back into your your story a bit. Um, There's kind of a turning point that we can get to um, about like kind of what uh, an injury you had and how Mm -hmm. that kind of changed your perspective on life and career and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So through all that story that I've, you know, so we got maybe still go back to college. Um, I was lukewarm on everything. Um, went to school to be a teacher. Wasn't sure about it. You know, dabbled in business classes. Wasn't sure about it. And um, it was really a, a tough. I'm thankful that this is a tough part of my story because I, I don't have like a huge loss or an unexpected tragedy. So like a a tough part of my personal story is just like, I was expected to go to college and succeed and, and then move on from there. But when I hit college, I felt like I didn't know what I wanted to do. And that was that lukewarm feeling of, of everything I dabbled in, you know, film school and business and education. Um, and one thing that like, is, has always been, and I'm not unique in this, but the KU um, intro video, because when I was a student at KU, I was at every basketball game, um, as one should when they go to KU. But their intro video, even back then, like I said, we weren't watching videos on our phone. Like media was consumed totally differently. But I remember watching it being like, I want to create something like that. I still never have. I don't know if I will. That video, even just talking about it, gives me chills. But again, I didn't follow up on that. I didn't get, find out who at KU was making that video. I just went about, you know, kind of trying to find a more traditional path and then ended up not working. So all that continues on the lukewarm feelings of just like anything, almost a feeling of being lost to so just like, I don't know what. I want to put my full weight behind. Um, and then I broke my femur, um, snow skiing and I was forced to like stop. Everything stopped. Um, I couldn't physically do much. Um, and in that moment of like, I am in this bed like felt like the grandpa on Willy Wonka. Um, it just kind of clicked of like, you've been scared of putting everything behind a camera for so long. Like the femur was not a life. I mean, it could have been life threatening. It was a big bone and it broke in a weird way, but I'm not saying it was this like life altering. Oh no, it did alter my life. So I, I shouldn't qualify it, but I sat there and I was like, man, how quickly my life went from, I'm going to have to relearn how to walk and I was in bed for so long. So I think that kind of connected two things and was like, 
I don't know when, but when you can, you, you know, you need to get a camera, learn it, make it feel like an extension of your hand and, um, go from there. And there were hurdles along the way. Um, even before then, sorry to rewind again, but my friend Ben and I were doing something on social media called tailgate tourist, where we were, KU's not known for their football team. Obviously, they had a decent year this year, but we would travel to football schools and just experience their tailgate culture. Never had a ticket, didn't go into games, um, and just post pictures, really poor pictures that I was taking on social media. And that taught me how to kind of like have an idea and build a community around that idea because it started from zero. And we found people online that were interested in tailgating like we were kind of treating it like, um, how Anthony Bourdain would, would, uh, treat a country. We wanted to see what people were eating, what people were drinking, what games they were playing at different tailgates. And then I broke my femur. So that stopped. Um, and it just gave me time to think back on like, okay, what, what things can I take from that experience? What things can I take from, um, all the experiences that I had, I truly just had to sit and think because if I didn't, I would, I would have been in a very bad attitude sitting in my bed. Um, and so that mindset, again, back to mindset change, um, is huge for why I'm where I'm at now, like breaking my femur, I think definitely changed my direction for sure. Definitely. Yeah. I, uh, I have not quite a, as painful story physically. Um, but my, my kind of area there is, um, like job applications and like yeah. not getting a job out of college. Like that's mm -hmm. really what like was that like broken fever moment for me is like mm -hmm. you just, you get kicked down or you get like, you get put in this place where you have to make a decision of like, am I going to keep going on this route or I'm going to do something else that I'm passionate about or that, you know, I, I need to try something new. Um, and like not getting a job out of college and not knowing where my money was going to come from and not being able to like move into my own place and all this kind of stuff mm -hmm. was like really that moment of like, like, do I need to go out, go out on my own? Do I need to get a job that's maybe easier to get? That's not mm -hmm. necessarily my passion, but it'll bring in money. Um, mm -hmm. And like you said, like being kind of lukewarm on everything, like not really knowing where to, where to go, but making that hard decision to kind of transition mm -hmm. into something that's not necessarily secure, but it is your passion. And it's something that you wake up and you're like, I enjoy going to work every day. I'm going to have like really fun in this job every single day. Yeah. And like I said, I, I always have to come back. I'm again, fortunate for the high school, fortunate for the introduction to this, this type of stuff. I'm also fortunate that that was my, or that has been up to this point, my life hurdle. Like, I realize how lucky I am that that was my big struggle that I was like, Oh, I am lukewarm on what, what my passion is. Like there's so many people yeah. that I come across where their struggle is so much more devastating than that. Um, I've, you know, I can't dwell on that. I can't focus on that, but I also need to keep that at the front of my mind that like, as I come up in this industry, I want to, find people whose struggle might be way, way more intense. And if I can help them with a camera or with freelancing, um, I want to, because 
there's definitely that feeling of, man, it could have been all different if certain things went a different way. And, and I'm not going to minimize the hard stuff that I went through of like, just feeling like a complete failure when college didn't work out. But I'm also thankful that that was my, to up to this point, that was my struggle. I mean, for that to be the main issue, I know that I've led a, a very nice life so far. Definitely. So, so now let's kind of move ahead into, you have your business now, you kind of start in the sports photography. Mm-hmm. How did you start getting your first clients? How did you start, start in that, that direction? Um, mm-hmm. And kind of where did like kind of have a, how did that take you to today? Sure. So um, I'll go back to tailgate tourist. Um, that was an awesome experience that I wish some days continued. And that's where I kind of felt like there's something about sports content that like isn't being met. Um, and so that was a seed that was planted. Um, it was also, I would take pictures and like randomly get a good one. And that was nice. So I would, you know, hadn't studied anything about composition, um, lighting, anything like that. But I was taking so many pictures when we would travel to these tailgates and coming back goes back to my eye and trusting my eye. I would see like, Oh, I stumbled upon a good picture here. And so fast forward when I did get a camera, um, I would go back to those things of, about tailgate tourists of like, okay, why did I accidentally take this good picture and how can I not make, how can I take it without it being an accident? Um, moving forward. Um, and again, tailgate tourists also taught me how to find people that like similar things and, and build that community on the online. Um, I feel like as a freelancer, it's really important, um, to not feel like you're just like yelling out to an empty room. And so if you can find a community of people that like what you like, even if it's 15, 20, people that follow and are consistently like interacting, it makes a huge difference. And tailgate tourist was my first experience of doing that. Um, so then when I started taking the camera part seriously, I kind of understood like, okay, I need to find people that also take this seriously. And so, um, I spent a lot of time online learning on YouTube. Um, Back then, my focus was wedding videography. I thought that was going to be the way. Um, So I watched a ton of wedding videos um, for video. Um, And and I got clients. I was at an age where, uh, you know, people my age were starting to get married. So um, got some backyard weddings that I I filmed and got experience that way. Um, my wife is a small business owner, um, who ran at the time she was running her own salon and fortunate again, that, um, the word of mouth that went on in the salon got me more, um, more opportunities and, you know, some friends who were starting to get into real estate. So I kind of, you know, sidestepped, um, just to like find jobs here and there still, I'm still very much doing that, but it was a lot more sporadic, um, back then and 
almost no sports um, until one day, I think I sent direct messages to like every person involved with Kansas City Sports Radio um, and was just like, can I help in any way? Like, do you need media for anything? And I got one response back and it was um, from a reporter in Kansas City who does awesome work. Her name is Allie Trost. And she said, I need, you know, I could use video help with this. Um, and just that one yes, um, I went with her to film an interview that she was doing with um, sporting a Sporting Kansas City player. Um, and from there, it was like that was a little push in the direction of like sports media can work. I can do this in sports media. Um, and so from there I was, you know, I was leaving my job at a middle school when I could to film stuff. Um, and then I was like, you know, this middle school has a football team. So I started taking pictures of middle school football. And again, obviously middle school football is going to have its limitations. Uh, there are some really funny pictures of just the, the kids are learning how to play football. I'm learning how to take action photography or action photos. And, and so I just took pictures of middle school football, middle school basketball. Um, and from there it was like, okay, there's, then I could kind of see the, the path a little bit of parents want these type of pictures Schools want these type of pictures. Schools are entering into this form of like, they want to promote their activities. And that was when I first kind of had that aha moment of like, if I can get a wedding type budget from schools or from, you know, parents to create what I create for weddings, there's a, there's a career moving forward in sports. I'm still ironing out those wrinkles, but that was like the, the moment where I was like, okay, this can work because shooting a game here and there is not enough to make a living like yep. at all. So I had to figure out what type of package do people want. Um, and then I had to make sure I was, you know, producing at a level that I could offer that package. Um, and that's how it started. So I kind of found, a niche that at that moment I didn't see being, being utilized. And it was, um, so I started, you know, trying to take pictures for schools to use as promotional material. Yeah. That's something I, something that I just caught on to that was really interesting is kind of getting the wedding size package from schools. So yeah. how did you, how did you go to schools and say like, cause weddings, like wedding photography can range from anywhere between hundreds of dollars to thousands of dollars to tens of thousands of dollars. So okay. like, how did you go to a school and say like, this is a package? Like, how did you lay out that package? How did you determine your pricing? And then how did you get schools to agree to that type of pricing? Cause it can be really pricey, mm -hmm. especially for smaller schools. Yeah, I'm still figuring, I'm still figuring that out. My, the realization that happened was that like, there's a culture in the wedding industry of people are going to expect to pay X amount of dollars. Um, and when I was in sports initially, I just saw right away, like that foundation hasn't been laid in sports. There's not a history of people paying, um, for high quality sports or I shouldn't say that. In my knowledge, what I was experiencing was people would get photos here and there and, and be thankful. And, oh, this is nice. 
And so I kind of felt like, okay, I need to make a package. And there was a school in town that um, kind of I was working with not sports related where it was during a COVID during one of the COVID years where they're like all our website pictures don't have any masks in it. So like automatically our pictures are outdated because there's no masks present. So I was brought in to update their website photos um, of just school activities that had masks. And from that, I was like, okay, I also kind of have this idea where I can not replicate D1 media day stuff, but I can come close is I think exactly what I said. And I was lucky to have, they had a media, somebody who was in their media department that was just like, yeah, that is like, we want to do that. And from there, I'm still figuring out, it's a lot of listening. I guess I should have shortened this answer to, I, I listen to what schools need and, and I kind of try and meet them where their needs are. Because it's a ton of effort to, to go to a school and try to convince them that they need high quality media. So instead, I want to listen to them, hear where they are, and then build that relationship. And I'll come back to relationship building over and over again. It's all about building a relationship. And so, I mean, that even goes back to the days where I was bartending or being a waiter is like, I knew what tables I could sell the big bottles of wine to. And I knew what tables I would be lucky if we were getting from water to Coke or Pepsi. Like you just have yeah. to listen and understand who you're talking to. And when you upsell or when you try to sell your package, don't like, you know, go crazy. Just kind of ease them into this is why this is important. This is why I think we will be a good fit. Um, and, and that makes it hard, though, because there's no like menu yet that I have that I can just say this. You know, I'd love to get to the point where it's just this is the price, you know, pay it or I move on. But I'm not there. I, I have to fit what I can do into different sized budgets. Yeah, definitely. It's all about kind of balancing like what jobs you should take for very little money to what jobs you should say no to because like you're not worth, you know, if you're doing, you know, $5,000 worth of work for $1,000, like maybe you shouldn't take that job. Even if it's a really good client, like if the money's not there and the fit's not right, it, it may be hard to say no, but sometimes you kind of say no to those clients that I'm still balancing that as well of like, mm -hmm. you know, say no to clients that maybe I've had a bad experience with or saying no to clients where like the fit just wasn't there or mm -hmm. they, their expectations didn't meet my, uh, what I could deliver in various reasons, um, whether it was my control or not, but just that's always a struggle. And, mm -hmm. and also what you said about relationships, like this industry creatives, like it's all about who, you know, mm -hmm. you can be mm -hmm. the most skilled person ever. You could have the most competitive pricing. You could have a great website, but you need to be out there at the word of mouth, talking to people, meeting mm -hmm. people. And I've, I've learned that the hard way this past year of trying to grow my business. Um, but yeah, it's all about who you know. It's all about word of mouth. It's all about relationships. Mm -hmm. all, it's all about shaking hands um, mm -hmm. and getting your face out there because, you know, just just having good media isn't isn't really enough to grow your business. So yeah, I and relate to you on that. Again, I'm just going to keep going back to the things that I'm fortunate 
for that I had no control over is when I think when people picture a sports photographer, they kind of draw in their head the face that I have. Like I look like what people envision sports photography. I, I totally want that to change, but I get to, I think I've had meetings with people about sports photography because when I walk into a door, there's not that barrier of like, this doesn't look like a traditional sports photographer. And that is a bummer. Like I hope that when my, I have a two and a four year old, when my daughters, if they want to get in to sports photography, that there isn't that bias. But like, if you think back on the best sports photographers of like the first Super Bowls and stuff like that, it was just a bunch of white guys with cameras. And so I understand that I can maybe get meetings easier because again, people's preconceived notion of what a sports photographer looks like. I happen to fit that mold and I'm conscious of that in my business as well. So I'm always trying to push for other people to be along for this as well. So when I have shoots, I'm always going to try and bring younger photographers, um, along and, and because, you know, anyone, some of my favorite photographers look nothing like me, most of them actually. And so that stuff needs to change, but I'm also in a position to where like, if I'm going to have, if I can take those meetings and get those meetings, I can then use that to change a little bit of what the industry looks like. And so definitely that's a big part of the story too, is like, I can reach out cold to a school and say like, I do sports photography, come in and there's always already a little bit of trust that, you know, with my portfolio as well, for sure. Not to minimize that at all, but, um, I just always want to be mindful of the fact that like, not everyone can cold call a school and get a meeting, um, and, and the people's time. So I take that pretty seriously of just like, how can I leave a trail behind me that, makes the sports photography community look different because it should, it should represent a lot more, um, people. So, um, that's all in my relationship building. Like I want to build relationships with, um, with photographers and with schools that are thinking similarly. Definitely. So, um, one thing that I asked you when we were, uh, we, when we, we met before this, um, and something I'm really interested in hearing about is how you get athletes comfortable on your shoot days. Um, because I've mm-hmm. done a little bit of photography and video here and there with, um, my dad's volleyball team, but like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's kind of weird going into a, a school, um, yeah. and definitely different sports are different, but like kind of get the athletes comfortable with you, get them uncomfortable in front of the camera. Cause that can be intimidating. Um, so talk about like what a shoot day looks like for you mm-hmm. and how you talked about how like you have kind of a, a way to get them comfortable fairly quickly. So cause you really have a limited time on set. So talk about that. Yeah. Freelancing. I really like it because every day can be different. Um, I can be at a different school. I can be at a different sport. Um, a quick example of that is I got to shoot photos at the U S women's national team when they came to Kansas city. Um, and it was awesome. Probably my, one of my top photography experiences, even though it was a zero zero draw, um, against Korea, but like I, I was there and on the sideline taking pictures of like the best soccer players in the world, Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino, 
the very next day I was covering, um, girls JV tennis. And it is not at all a statement on girls JV tennis at all, but it was just such a switch of like the top at their field to kids just learning, which is equally like I enjoy taking photos of people who are just learning their craft. It was just so different and it was a great representation or it was a great visual in my mind of like why freelancing can be fun is like I saw the top of the top and then the very next day, less than 24 hours later, I saw people just starting. Yeah. Um, as a, and it as was a former JV tennis player myself, I, uh, I totally <laughs> understand what you mean about going a, from the national team to what JV tennis looks like. Right. I, I yeah. I only say it because when you, when some, when a little thing doesn't go right in tennis, it's very obvious. So there's just a, that sport was a very specific example of like, okay, these, these kids are learning and it's, it was still great. I, not at all a knock on JV tennis, yeah. but it was You're bringing back all my memories of like yeah. all the little missed shots and right, like missed right. serves and serves straight into the yeah. net and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, but so saying that as a freelancer, um, I don't have a lot of the, I guess, I don't know what the right word would be of like, I'm shooting a lot of athletes that I don't have a history with or like familiarity with where when I talk to, um, photographers that are like full-time at a, at a D one school or full-time at a college, um, Obviously, they have different struggles too, but one of the things that is a benefit for them is a lot of the players know who they are. Um, and when you have a familiar familiarity with your subject, I believe you're going to get better pictures. Um, and I do have some schools where I've worked enough times with them that I've developed familiarity and the pictures, I think, get better each time because there's that comfort that comes from, okay, I recognize who this person is. I've seen his work before. Um, and that's a really good way to break the barrier down. Um, so like you said, when I'm going from school to school and doing sport to sport, a big hurdle is to very quickly kind of soften the wall between myself and the subject. And that's a huge part of like, if someone's just getting into photography, it's important, I think, for you to stand in front of your camera and you can take self portraits and delete them as fast as you can. I hated taking self portraits, but the, the photographers that I really look up to and respect, I feel like all have some sort of self portraits that they've taken. And so it made me realize like, Oh, how can I, know what it feels like to be in front of my camera if I'm too hesitant to get in front of my camera. So I think step one was like shaking off my, um, my being scared of being in front of the camera. Cause I, if I don't have that empathy with the subject, it's hard for me to break it down. So anyways, I come into a school and there's several things like, um, one thing I do is I'll hand my camera to an athlete and I'll get in front. And if I'm going to ask an athlete to like give a full on scream, like for those pictures that everyone has seen of like slapping a basketball and screaming, I'm going to scream in front of the camera and let them take a picture of me doing it. Um, cause that takes 
you know, less than five minutes. And it shows them that like, it's a, it's a silly process. Sometimes it feels abnormal to scream in front of a stranger. Um, but if I'm willing to do it, um, it breaks down a little bit of that barrier. Um, and it shows the athletes like, okay, there's, there's a little bit of back. This is a relationship building again, back to relationship building. Um, another thing, um, that I, you know, I, I also will show my Instagram, show my work. So it's not like some stranger that they don't know and just say, these are the type of photos I take. Um, I'm thankful that that usually gets a positive response. Uh, it's, you know, well, it should, you do really great work. Oh, I appreciate it. But yeah, so that, I think that is a piece of that puzzle too. So I want them to, to know that I'm willing to do what I'm about to ask them to do. I think that's huge. Um, music is another big thing. You know, I work with, with a bunch of different schools. So like you have to make sure you know what music is able to be played. But, uh, I think everybody just feels more tight and self-aware when it's a quiet room. So just adding noise, it gets people to not just think about themselves. Um, and then another one is very different. I'll ask, I'll say, do you like seeing the images or would you prefer not to? Because some people want to take the picture and get out of there and not see it. And I want to respect that. Um, but some people want to, you know, take the picture and look at it and see, okay, this is what this looks like. And so a, it's just, again, back to listening, hearing what your subject, how they like to work. And then, of being accommodating to that. I know I've talked to some photographers who really don't like showing their images before, um, before they edit them or before they're all done. And I don't yeah. deliver raws. I'm not saying that, but yeah. I will turn the camera around and show. And I think that it just is another opportunity for me to communicate. Um, and the more I communicate, the more comfortable people tend to feel. Um, so I, when you, yeah, when, a when a student says like, Hey, I want to see that photo that you just took. Are you in that situation saying like, yeah, we can redo it if you don't like it. Or are you kind of saying like, here, here's what it is. It's going to look great when I get into post, like, just trust me. Or are you like doing multiple reshoots if the student's not comfortable with that photo? Yeah. So I don't want to feel like the DMV, you know, like if you go into the DMV, it feels like you take a picture and whatever that picture looks like, I don't know. Maybe some people ask for re reshoots, but I've always sat down and been like, whatever this photo looks like is what I'm going to get. And that doesn't, that's not a good feeling. So I do want them to see and, and have input. Um, if they have input on, on what it looks like, then they have a little bit of ownership in it too. And I just, uh, that's another step in the process of making people feel comfortable um, to a point. I've definitely had times where an athlete has been like wanting to shoot, shoot, shoot and reshoot. And, you know, my time is also my money. Yeah. So I have learned um, soft ways of just saying like, okay, we got, we definitely got one in that group yeah. of pictures. Like, you know, and I always do rem or I remind people like, this is what it looks like in camera. It's going to look a little different after editing, but tell me, you know, what you like about it. Another thing I never directly 
call out like I don't like what your face was doing in this photo or I don't like how your um, mouth was shit. You know, being too specific like that um, can really make people self-conscious. So even Especially if in was, high school. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the most self-conscious years of your life. Um, yeah. When I was shooting volleyball, it was like I we did like a little like the intro thing where there's like a background mm-hmm. and like you have the name and the the number yeah. and the like uh thing. Every single girl was like, Oh, I don't like how my, like, mm-hmm. you know, how I was turned yeah. or like whatever this. And I chat like five different ones for each player. And I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. like, but yeah, I, I totally understand what you're saying there. Yeah. there And there's probably a lot of like, I, um, you know, I've been married and in a relationship with a woman for a long time. So I've, I hear, how she talks about herself and I've learned how to be a good husband in the way of just like saying different things that aren't, aren't. So I think I've built skills of, you know, there are ways to compliment people and there are ways of saying like, this could be different in it. You know, there's a good way to say it and there's a bad way to say it. And I've had practice with boys and girls and, you know, men and women, both of just saying like, there's a different way for me to tell. Um, here's an example of when I do, I rarely do couple shoots, but like if a cup, you know, if a friend's having a baby or if, um, they want a Christmas card picture and stuff like that, there are a few people who I, who will call. And the way I ask a guy to change his posture or expression is totally different than the way I'll ask, you know, a friend of mine who's a a girl and, and that just comes with learning and just, but I think my biggest tip would just to be like, be general. Um, I, a lot of times if, if the whole thing was wrong, if the posture, the facial expression, if everything was off, um, a lot of times, you know, a, a white lie of like, Oh, I really miss the lighting on that or like the lighting wasn't good here. Um, that's a good blanket statement where you'll get another f- chance at the photo um, without making someone look inward and be like, what did I do wrong? Yeah. I never want somebody to, for me to take a picture. And like, I'm very conscious of when I look at the camera, they're looking at me. So if I, if my expression just drops when I look at the camera, which sometimes will happen accidentally, I very am quickly to say like, Oh, I missed this part of it or the lighting, my flash didn't fire. So those are all soft skills that I think I've picked up. And again, I can regret that I started late or I can look for the positives. Um, and some of the positives are that I have a lot more life experience of working in restaurants, working in retail, working in middle school. Um, so I can relate and talk to, different people in different ways. Um, Absolutely. And so I encourage people to go, you know, young photographers that might be frustrated of like, Oh, I have to work at a restaurant because my photography is not paying my bills yet. I would not be as good of a photographer if I didn't work in a restaurant. I mean, straight up. Agree. Yeah. Um, because that I, I worked how customer. to communicate. Oh, oh yes. yeah. hundred percent communication. I worked customer service in retail for like two years I would not be as patient as I am with some of the realtors I work with and some of the other clients I have and know how to communicate these things or like deal with, you know, customer service type issues where like, Oh, my payment didn't go through or my, this didn't happen or whatever. Like 
I would not be in that situation that I am today if I did not work those customer service jobs and get yeah. you know yelled at by real retail customers and everything like that. Yeah, and if, agree. if there happens to be someone listening who wants to be a photographer or a podcaster and is in a restaurant job now, like that's probably not going to help. It's not going to help to hear that because I remember listening to podcasts on my way to a job that I really didn't like and hearing somebody be like, oh, it's worth it. You know, it's all worth it. Like the worst jobs teach the best lessons. Like in the moment that it made nothing made me roll my eyes harder. It's just until you are on the other side of it that you do see like, oh, there are things that I'm good at because of those experiences. Absolutely. Um, so I, I, I just, I know that the people who are driving or at a job that is like slowly <laughs> killing their desire to create, I understand that feeling. And there's not much that I'm going to say that is going to make it feel better other than what I said before, I'm a better photographer because I worked in restaurants. Um, Definitely. And I'm a better photographer because I worked in um, a middle school and retail and catering and all, all the jobs that I've done have led me to, you know, what I do now. Definitely. So uh, kind of towards the end here, I always like to ask the photographers I have on about their gear. Um, mm -hmm. I know you have a little bit of a different mindset on gear, but um, and kind of talking about it as investments, but kind of talk about what camera you use, what lens you use, um, and any mm -hmm. other gear that you use on a regular basis and why you kind of chose those pieces. Yeah, I will start it off by saying like, there's somebody, there's a kid, there's somebody is creating awesome stuff with their iPhone right now. Like Absolutely. it's just happening. And somebody has learned how to use CapCut and make a cool transition in a very fast amount of time um, that it would probably take me a long time to do a cool, you know, that cool of a transition. Um, so as far as gear goes, like there is a small percentage of me that says gear doesn't matter, but then there's a, a much larger percentage of me that says it does. Um, so with that out of the way, like you can create and you can learn with any piece of gear, but when I wanted to buy a serious camera, I needed, I knew I wanted something that I could charge a good rate when I shot a wedding for. That's just the space I was in. Um, and it just so happened to be that the Sony a7 III had just like come out and it could shoot, you know, good photos and it could do 60 frames a second or sorry, I, I could shoot at 120. Um, yep and have 1080. Um, and at that time, that's all I needed. I didn't need to worry about delivering 4k videos to clients, which is a whole nother thing. I don't like shooting in 4k because most of my stuff is viewed on, on phones anyways. But so I went with the Sony and what I understood, what I understood in that moment was like, I'm choosing Sony, which means I am choosing Sony lenses, which means I'm going to be a Sony shooter. It is not at all in a way of I'm a Sony shooter. I'm going to make that my identity. It was just that I have to be budget conscious. And so I'm not going to be able to have some Canon lenses and some Sony lenses and some, you know, Nikon, I guess. 
but I, <laughs> I did that was disrespectful. I didn't mean to disrespect, but I mean, so I like kind of disrespect in, here and there is not that bad. <laughs> I fell into, or I didn't fall into it. I made the decision to shoot Sony and invest money in Sony lenses with the understanding that like that was going to be the brand I used because you know, my, the lens that's on my camera 90% of the time is my 70 to 200 F 2.8. Um, that is an E-mount camera. So it fits on Sony's that have an E-mount. Yeah. So it wouldn't make sense for me to then go buy a Canon camera that my favorite lens didn't work on. Um, and it's been said a thousand times, you marry your lenses and you date your camera bodies, um, which is true. And I'm hesitant to say it even out loud, especially with my Sony like sitting right there. My camera body is probably coming to the point where I need to get a new one. Um, and the Sony yeah. a seven three will become my second body. And, um, but so yeah, Sony is, is what I shoot. Uh, I got a 16 to 35 lens very quickly because I wanted wide, a wide option so I could shoot mm -hmm. real estate. Um, I knew enough to know that like going into an apartment with a 50 millimeter um, lens is not going to make that apartment look good. So 16 to 35, I can zoom, you know, I can pull it back at 16 and make, um, a one bedroom apartment look decent on a listing. And that's been important for me to get work and continue to get work. So that's not a great sports lens. It's F4. Um, so like in a dark high school gym, my 16 to 35 F4 is not probably going to get the great action shots. What I will say to people who are like, Oh, I only have this lens. Then don't focus on the action shot. Get as close to the bench as you can. When people are being still slow, your shutter speed down and get a good portrait. Like you can make something work. If I only had my 16 to 35, I would still be able to take a good photo. Um, so in that way, gear doesn't matter, but I'm not going to get a high speed, like frozen action shot with my 16 to 35 F4. Um, yeah. And then the biggest, I think the biggest thing, like when we talked about going from just shooting a game here and there to like offering big packages was learning off the camera, off camera flash. Um, and I, you know, did a little bit of research with a very limited budget um, and found the newer on Amazon. You know, I think people knock newer because it's a lot of what beginners use. But I shot media day for a pro soccer team with two newer flashes like it, they are good flashes. Um, one dropped really hard in a parking lot and it, oh, no. it looks busted. Um, and it, it is broken. I can't read the LCD screen, but it still works. So like it was, it's a cheaper end of lens, but it's taken abuse. It's, you know, bumped around in my trunk and they still work. Like I rely on them. I, you know, moving forward, I probably will upgrade, but I just wanted to say like, I don't think they deserve the like scorn or, or look down upon that they get. Um, yeah, they're good flashes. And that was a whole nother learning process was learning off camera flash. Um, and then big modifiers. So, um, I like harsh flash, uh, like the disposable camera look, I definitely like that look, but 
for delivering high quality photos. I just knew flash and large modifiers were important. So learning how to use both those things and for gear, I would say the important gear stuff that I have is off camera flash, large modifiers and a full, a full frame camera camera. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I like what you said about like newer not being great, but it still like works really well. Like in our episode with um, Jacob Banner, which is two episodes Mm -hmm. ago, he talked about kind of putting in your 10,000 hours with, you know, a, a not as great camera, like a not as mm-hmm. expensive camera. And I think that's totally true. Like you don't know, you don't need to go out and buy the Sony a nine Mark two or a one Mark two or whatever. It's a $5,000 camera body. If yeah. anybody's interested, you don't yeah. need to spend that money. And then the, you know, the $2,000 lens, like you don't need that to do great photos. Cause you're not going to take great photos on that camera if you don't know how to use it. And the right. Sony a seven three is a great starting place for people that can, that have a little bit, a little bit of money to spend. They want full frame, but they don't have that skill set. It you can mm-hmm. get the camera and a lens for you know a thousand dollars, twelve hundred bucks yeah. on on eBay or on online on a special, and it's a great hybrid shooter to start out with. So, um, if anybody's looking to buy a camera or get into photography, buy what buy the best thing you can at your at your budget, but mm-hmm. don't spend a ton of money and invest the time. And then once you yeah. have that skill set and you have those gigs that may require that, maybe you can rent a Sony A1 or you right. can rent a Sony A9. And then yeah. maybe, you know, if you get a big job and you want to upgrade, then maybe buy the Sony A9 or A1 or buy the Canon R6 or whatever it is. But you do not yeah. need the highest quality gear or highest quality lights in the beginning to take great photos. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um before you know for like i think it was a hundred dollars i could have a 70 to 200 f 2.8 for seven days yep um and i didn't own one but i would you know get a sports job and try to get two or three in that seven day period to get the most out of my like 120 dollars for seven days with that lens and then it got to the point where it was like okay i'm spending a hundred dollars to rent this lens where if I was putting that hundred dollars towards the lens, I would, you know, get to the point. So I learned how to use that lens. I, uh, um, so renting is huge. Like I can rent a second camera body to take to an event because right now I can't afford to have two camera bodies. Um, I guess I haven't mentioned that either. It was like, I feel like when I hear freelancers talk online, it's always, this is how I make six figures as a freelancer where I hate if, those videos so if much. I were to make a video today about freelancing, it would, I think the title would be like, this is how I put $15 of gas in my car as a freelancer. I love <laughs> this that. is how I, this is how I, you know, buy groceries and, and make, Please make that video as a freelancer. Like, because that's my truth. It's not like I am, I love what I do. I love my family. Those things are set. My This piece of the puzzle that I'm trying to figure out is how to be financially comfortable. But God forbid if I, you know, broke another bone, I, well, money would be... A if you broke another bone, you might go back to teaching. That, that's a bad example. Yeah, I'm probably one broken bone away from not being a freelancer. But <laughs> what all, all I mean to say is, like, it's so easy to hear those videos online of, like, you know, this is how to be financially stable as a freelancer. And I'm not financially stable as a freelancer. I see the path forward. Like there's 
um, these checkpoints that I'm getting towards that's encouraging, but I haven't filled my tank in a long time. <laughs> it's been what I can put in the tank to get to the gig and, and going forward. And, you know, that it is what it is. I just don't see those type of videos on online that often. So I, I feel like I, I don't want that to be like my personal brand is like the, the starving artist, but, um, we're eating fine. <laughs> yeah. I see those videos and it's like, if you want to make $6,000 a year, just go into real estate photography. And I'm like, that is not how that works at all. Because I mean, if yeah, that were true, yeah, it'll just I would take be years. living at $60,000 a right. year in my own house and my own, like have all the gear, like the gear right. I want and all this stuff. But I am yeah. also not financially stable and I am also struggling right. and doing this stuff. So I hate those videos so much because it's yeah. like, I understand why they do it. I respect it. I respect the hustle, trying to get the views, but it just, yeah. it's not realistic. And every like, professional photographer knows like you are going to be a starving artist for a little bit and then you just got to put it in your hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, just find your priorities. And, but anyways, that's not on the gear side of things, but you know, filling your gas tank doesn't matter what gear you have if you can't get to the gig. So absolutely. hundred percent agree. <laughs> so, uh, to kind of close out here, thank you for coming on this podcast. It's been great talking to you. I loved hearing your story. Um, I relate to it so much. This has been great. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple things to close out. What would you suggest uh, if business owners are doing, freelancers are doing, what is something that they can do, you know, this week, today, this month um, to kind of upgrade their business, do something, uh, kind of an action item for them to take uh, right now? If you're, yeah, if you're young and like right now, if, if you're a creative that isn't, depending like isn't paying bills like with your creative like if you're if you're starting out in that way um even if you aren't charging like i'm i wish everyone would charge it would make my conversations go easier but i understand like i did jobs um for expo or not for exposure for experience um i guess that's one thing do a job for experience don't do it for exposure um and also whatever you're charging, um, take 30% of it away because the government's going to, when you do become a full-time freelancer. So I'm not even saying like, take it away and and save it, but just when you tell a, a client a price, understand that, you know, around 30% of that price will go away to taxes. Um, so it's, I wish I had had that practice when I started. Um, and if you're in high school and even if you're just like charging 50 bucks for gas money for the gig or, or whatever it is, just take 30% of that out because you'll get in the habit of, of understanding how much money you're truly getting. Um, yep. because a hundred dollars might like to a young creator might feel like a lot but it's really $70 that you're really getting. Um, if my math is yep. correct, I chose a hundred. So my math would be correct. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, correct. Nice job. Uh, so that's huge. And I think a lot of people, again, I don't see videos about that that often, but when you're self-employed taxes are a huge burden. Yep. Um, absolutely. And not only taxes, I, um, there's other stuff on that, like expenses and stuff that I won't get into, but that's my biggest thing is, even if it's 
start charging because then you're also practicing asking for money and it's uncomfortable to ask people for money. So the more practice you have, the more reps you have of saying, this is what I offer and this is what I'd like in return. It doesn't have to be a huge number. You're still like, your mind isn't going to focus on the number. It's going to focus on your practicing asking for money. And if you're going to be a freelancer, you have to be comfortable asking for money. And I'm not at that point. I'm giving myself this advice as well. Um, but no, especially if your bills aren't dependent on it, start now because you can get your reps in, in a very low, um, risk environment. And you can, so if you're getting good at asking for money or I shouldn't even say asking for money, if you're getting good at, um, Telling people your your rates. Yeah. Just charging your works. You're, you're having those conversations, then they get easier each time you have those conversations. And then if you're taking 30%, even if you're mentally taking 30% out, um, that's setting you up for success because you know, it's going to happen. If you want to be a full-time freelancer that those two things need to happen, you should be comfortable talking about money. You should, and then you should take 30% out and, and practice quarterly paying the government, I guess. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. One thing, one thing that I'm going to do this year, um, is not just taking out money for taxes, which is you have to, as a freelancer, as a business owner, you yeah. just have to do that. But also I'm going to set up some sort of system or bank account or whatever to set aside money for memberships, because I have a lot of different either yearly yes. or monthly memberships yeah. and those those always like kind of come out of nowhere and it's like, Oh shoot, that $250 was due today. Like a a yearly membership to this association or that association or like, you know, this, this group is $500 a month or a year, but like, like it'd be really enjoying like, yeah. Yeah. Real quick. That goes into the gear conversation because people are like, Oh, do you edit, you know, why do you, do you choose Adobe or something like that? I use Adobe because for my money I pay, the monthly price and I can use Photoshop. I can use a video editing software. I can use a little bit of their stock footage. I don't do that very often, but Lightroom, Photoshop, Premiere, and also with Adobe portfolio is included in that. I can have a website. So I don't then have to pay a monthly subscription for a different video editing software and a monthly subscription for my website, um, which is something I'm new to. But I use Adobe Portfolio because it's built into my Adobe subscription. And I don't want to have these piling up of like all these different subscription. You know, I know everyone wants to have a video sponsored by Squarespace and I'm sure it's a great it's a great service, but I'm already paying for Adobe. So I might as well use Adobe's web buildings stuff. For sure. Yeah, it's definitely meeting meeting your um meeting your needs where your finances are. That's huge in business. Mm-hmm. Cause like maybe, yeah, you want that Squarespace website. If you can't afford it, you don't get it. Don't yeah, push Adobe, yourself to Adobe a point where you can do what you need it to do. Exactly. Yeah. Cause like I have like, I don't even want to list all of them cause it's too many, but I have like, you know, Wix and uh, email mm-hmm. and then like Riverside, which is what we're recording this podcast on. And I have association memberships cause I meet a lot of realtors that way. And mm-hmm. I have, you know, stock footage and stock music website and I have this and that. And so it adds up really quickly. So something I'm going to do this, this year is kind of set aside that money so that I'm, I have that monthly subscription 
covered. And I, and then I also have my yearly subscriptions when they roll around in, in December, January. And then I also have kind of, um, I'm working with less money and what I'm working with money I actually have versus money yeah. that I don't really have because I have those monthly subscriptions each month and it's just money I don't have because I need to pay it. Right. So I right. think that's going to help a lot with kind of understanding how much you're really making mm-hmm. um, versus how, like how much is coming into your bank account. I think I, my natural instinct is to like be bad on the other side of that is like, I'll struggle through something that I maybe could automate. And mm-hmm. so like we talked about Calendly, like yeah. I, the, my experience booking with you through Calendly showed me that like, Oh, I am using way more mental strain on like my booking processes that for 10, you know, $10 a month, that is worth it for me. So like, it is good to be mindful of it. And it's also good to be mindful of the other side of like, if something is causing you stress like day in and day out, like for me, booking was, um, and booking high school athletes, like they're like the most involved people on the planet. So it's, it's hard. And so for me, it was an aha moment of like, Oh, I was being too, I too frugal with some of my subscriptions where I need to subscribe to something that would automate a booking process. So, you know, like, I think if there's a theme of any of this is like two sides to those coins of like, ask other creators what they use. Um, I had, when I booked with you, it was so easy that I was, I real quickly was just like, Hey, you know, what does this cost? And, and do you find that it's worth it? Those type of conversations are helpful because I think it would have taken me a longer, a much longer time to roll around to use that. So hundred percent. Yeah. And this yeah. is not sponsored by Calendly. Right. No, yet. no, no. But no free ads. Calendly, yes, Calendly is fantastic. I highly recommend anybody who does any sort of freelance work, podcasting, anytime where you have to schedule a time to be somewhere with somebody, whether it be online or in person, Calendly is the best way to do that, in my opinion, just because it makes it so easy and rescheduling is easy, canceling is easy, and it kind of gives you yeah. a lot of automation flexibility you can add calendars all this kind of stuff again not sponsored by calendly but i highly recommend their product if you are needing that for sure yeah but yeah drew or drew thank you for coming on the podcast this has been fantastic if people want to find you online i know we talked about at the beginning um, but if people want to find you online where they where can they do that yeah i would just say to start on instagram with at no coast underscore media um from there i think you can find the twitter and if, if you're more active on Twitter or, or TikTok too, um, but my name's Drew Rich, No Coast Media um, on Instagram is the best way to find me. So I appreciate you having me on and being interested. Um, honestly, it felt early in my journey to like be talking about um, what I do, but I also realized that there's, there might be somebody who is earlier in their journey that might hear this and find um, benefit. So I had to push down those thoughts of like, why am I talking about, you know, that stuff, but I appreciate you showing interest um, in the work for sure. Absolutely. Well, we'll take care and we will see you next time on the rest of us podcast. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Rest of Us podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider leaving a rating or review on the podcasting platform of your choice. It really helps me see that you are enjoying the episode and also helps other people see the podcast. Also, please consider giving a follow on social media. All the links will be in the show notes down below. Also, in the show notes, there is a link to the Rest of Us newsletter. This is a, a platform where I'll send out different takeaways from the episode, resources that were mentioned in the episode, and also uh, notifications about new episodes. So make sure you click the link to subscribe there. So episodes are released weekly, and I will see you then on the next episode of the Rest of Us podcast. <laughs>